All right, Doxa Church. Good morning again, guys. It's it's great to see you. Great to to be together. I love that y'all are talking and I'm listening to me. That's awesome. I love the family vibe that we have. It's one of our core values. And so if you're new, welcome to Doxa. And we haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's, it's great to have you part of the Doxa family today. But here's what I want to invite you to do. Grab your Bibles. And I want you to find your way to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. All right. We're, we're going to continue this study through some of Jesus's last words. All right. His great commission. If you've been around the church for a while and you've been a Christian for a long amount of time, you've probably heard this a ton. And you know that this is a significant passage, but the question is, is like, why? All right? And as we open up the Bible, that's my prayer, is that God would teach us. He would meet us in this space and, and give us some clarity of like what he's actually saying and how that affects our lives. But if you are in fact new uh, and you don't have a Bible, one of the things that we do as we gather like this is we just open up the Bible and just kind of go through it together. And so if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one as a gift. You can stop at Info Corner at the end of the coffee bar and grab one for yourself, grab a few for your family. But um, we're going to get into this today. And uh, as I've been considering these last words of Jesus, here's what's kind of been going on in my mind over this last week. I started remembering my grandfather, Oscar Butcher. Right, and it was about three years ago um, that I had the honor of doing his funeral. And my, my grandfather was one of the godliest men I've, I've ever known. My, my grandma, who's still alive today, she, she tells me and she insists that my grandfather was up at 4 a.m. every morning praying for me since day one of my life. And he prayed for me for 24 years that I would come to know Jesus, understand the gospel, become the man that God has created me to be. On day one, he held me in the hospital and and prayed that I, in his words, be a preacher of God's word. And it took 20 some years for that to come to fruition, but um, he was just a godly man. And he prayed for me literally every single day until he died. But he was also just like a a generous man, incredibly loving man. But here's the thing with, with my grandfather. You know, I've, I've had a lot of memories with him through the years. But when I think about him today, and just the ongoing times when I think about Oscar, the primary thing that I remember are his last words that he ever spoke to me. And I, and I remember my family and I, we, we went back to Ohio for Christmas about three years ago. Um, he was over 90, his health was failing, and we kind of knew this was probably the, likely the last time that we would ever get to see him. And we had a good visit, and we were getting ready to go and head back, Um, but I just went over to him, I I gave him a hug, and I said goodbye, and he was very weak at this time, just like 90 pounds, didn't really talk, just kind of stood there, or sat there really, didn't even stand. But as I said goodbye, he just firmly grabbed my arm, and he pulled me down into the chair next to him. And I remember him saying to me, look at me. I looked at his eyes, just weak, failing, and he said to me, Robbie, Watch your life. Let it say the right thing about Jesus and his gospel. I love you. And I remember, like, I think this was like, he knew that he was probably never going to see me again this side of heaven. And he had that in the back of his head as he was speaking these last words to me. And it was some of the most significant things that he wanted to leave with me. Watch your life. Let it say the right thing about Jesus and his gospels. These are the last words that my grandpa spoke to me that I think about all the time. And as he spoke these guys, I just want to say that this was very intentional. This was the thing that he wanted to leave with me as he left. 
And here's the reason I tell you this story, okay? Docs, what we're looking at throughout this series is very similar to that. These are final words. Very intentional words from Jesus to his disciples, and they're very intentional words to us today as we sit here in this church building. And so we're teaching through this series that we've called sent, and we're looking at these last words from Jesus. And and last week, we we talked about how Jesus' great commission, how that impacts our lives. And we actually, as we did this, we we sent out, we commissioned our our church plant that's going to Ann Arbor, Michigan, and they're moving there, they're starting a new church, a new college ministry for the glory of God and the good of Ann Arbor. And as we did this, we were reminded that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus affects more than just our eternal lives, but it actually affects and impacts our lives here and now today as we live in Madison. And what we're getting into today with this this great commission, these last words of Jesus are so incredibly helpful for our understanding of how it is that our lives should be lived out in light of all that Jesus has done. All right, so let's get into this. Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 16. Listen to these final words of Jesus. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." All right, Doxa, these five short verses that comprise this this Great Commission passage are among some of the most important, some of the most important verses to establish kind of the ongoing activity and the ongoing rhythm of the church, both today and all the way throughout history when Jesus died to establish his church. And Jesus is saying to go and to give away everything that we have received from Jesus. This Great Commission is about us just going and bringing good news and salvation to all the people of the world whom God loves. And so my goal and my prayer this morning is this, is that as you hear my voice teach the Bible today, that you actually wouldn't just hear my voice, but you would ultimately hear God's voice to you through this scripture, because God is in fact speaking through his word. But you would hear his voice, and that would cause you to lift up your heads beyond all the things that can just distract us and consume our lives, And we would actually kind of be reoriented and realize that there is actually something that our lives should be consumed with. And it's here in this passage for us. All right, but this text, if you look back, is divided into three parts by Jesus himself, okay? And each of these three divisions are just amazing. They're directing, they're clarifying, they're really, really helpful for our lives today. And I really believe that if you allow yourself to receive these words from God today, that there will be great purpose arise in your life. I know some of you, you're kind of drifting through life. You don't feel like there is much purpose. If you would just hear and grab hold of this, there would be great purpose that would arise in your life. And as a result, great mission would happen throughout our city and throughout our world. And things would literally never be the same. All right? But if you look back, it isn't divided into three parts, okay? The pastor theologian, John Piper, he, he's very eloquent. He words it like this. He says, as you look at this, there's a, a loving comfort, there's a lofty claim, and a last command. And I want to look at these things, okay? So first, this loving comfort that we see. Look back to verse 16 and 17 again. Now the 11 disciples, I want you to circle this in your Bible, 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, 
to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And I want you to circle this too. But some doubted. All right, I want you to see two specific things in these verses so you can experience the loving comfort of God today. All right, and the first is, is in verse 16. It says that there are 11 disciples. Now, this might not seem like a big deal, but for the first time, those people that were designated as the 12 are now called the 11. And in this, guys, there is great significance and there's a massive loving comfort for all of us. Because if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that Judas, at this point, had betrayed Jesus. All right, he hung himself because he was so racked with guilt and shame. And with his loss, there were 11. All right, so basic math, not too insightful, right? But I want you just to consider this. While Judas is gone, Peter is still there. And again, if you know your Bible, this is very, very significant, and it should give you great comfort, because if you remember Peter's story, just as Jesus is being crucified, Peter is filled with fear that he would be killed right alongside Jesus for following him. And so he kind of leaves the scene, he's trying to get away and hide, and and people start to identify him as he's walking through the city and the town. And they're identifying him as one that that was following Jesus, and as he's fleeing the scene, if you look to Matthew chapter 26, a girl comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you that guy that's with Jesus? What does Peter do? Right, he responds like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that guy. And he moves on. And then shortly after that, another girl comes up to him and yells out, hey, this is the guy that's with Jesus. And Peter once again says, man, I don't even know this guy. I don't know what you're talking about. And he keeps moving on. And as he's moving on, some more people say, I know, we all know that you are with Jesus and you're following him and he's You're with him, we know that. And for a third time, Peter just filled with fear, he starts making like an oath in swearing that he does not know Jesus. And so he just completely denies Jesus, he turns his back on the one who loved him and was about to die for him. And so if you think about this, it would make sense that Peter would be out, right? He would just be out. I mean, denying even knowing Jesus. But oddly enough, He's somehow still among the disciples. Now, Doxa, I want you to see this as the loving comfort in the grace of God that should bring you massive amounts of comfort today. Because I know in a room this size, there's some of you right now, because of mistakes that you made last night or last week or throughout the years, you have the thought, I don't really know if there's room for me. I don't know if there's a place for me in God's family, like I'm different from all these people, I got a story, I got some baggage. Or maybe you're like, you've been around the church enough and you've heard us say that there's room for everybody and you have the thought, okay, well maybe there's room for me, but surely God can't use me. Like I'm just kinda here, I'm in this family by the grace of God, but there's, I'm too messed up, I'm too bad, I don't have a solid walk with God, I have been unfaithful to my spouse, I'm addicted to pornography, I've sinned greatly, I don't read my Bible. I went my own way, I turned my back on Jesus, and it's likely that some of you have those thoughts. If that's you, let me just say this to you. Here's what I want you to do. See Peter. See Peter. He's still there. That there is still a place and a grace and a love for people like Peter. Are there any Peters in here that just constantly need the grace of God? Let this just remind you of his love. And even more than just Peter still being there, guys, if you know his story, God restores him and loves him to such an extent that he becomes the leader of the apostles, the leader of the early church. Doc said, this is the grace of God that I am so thankful for. 
Because if you're anything like me, you mess up all the time. If you're anything like me, you think about yourself and you're like, why do I keep doing that, right? And you think, man, like, why? You, you see Romans chapter 7 with Paul saying, like, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do and I'm like a wretched man. But then you get to that part in Romans chapter 8 where it's like, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And I love this. This brings me such comfort in the midst of my broken life because this is the beauty of the gospel that even though when we are unfaithful, when we come to Jesus, he is faithful. And he forgives our sin. He forgives our rebellion. He forgives our apathy. This is the gospel of Jesus. Amen? I mean, this is good news. This is amazing, loving comfort. But in addition to this, look at verse 17. All right, Jesus is with the disciples, and Matthew says something so strange, right? That he, they see Jesus, and they worshiped him, but what else? But some doubted. Now, I want to just explain this to you because the fact that they worshiped him is so important. That the disciples, upon seeing the resurrected Jesus, they didn't just greet him and say, hey, how you doing? But they literally worshiped him. And here's how I want you to understand this, okay? The deity of Jesus and his identity of being God was not a doctrine that was created in the fourth century at the Council of Nicaea, okay? That it was clearly established as Jesus walked on earth. And when you understand these men, these men were Jewish men, and they're worshiping Jesus as God. And they knew, as like a good Jew, that if you worship the wrong thing, it was a big deal and it was a ticket to hell. But yet they worship Jesus as God. And Jesus receives their worship and doesn't rebuke them at all. And so this is yet another way that we see Jesus declaring himself to be God, which is ultimately what got him killed on a cross. But the thing that's so interesting is that Matthew is so honest that he says in the midst of this worship that there is actually some who doubted. Other translations use the word hesitate, that they hesitated. And scholars will debate over whether or not this, like, this doubt and this hesitation were the disciples themselves or people that were around them. But when we see this account, there's some sort of doubt and hesitation within the disciples. And so the sense of this account is that everyone is worshiping Jesus and then some were kind of just in disbelief, that they're seeing Jesus and they're like, I can't believe this is happening. I saw him dead, now he's here. I don't believe that this is happening. I, I, can't, I can't fathom it. I don't believe it. Or it could have been more negative, that as they doubted and hesitated, it was really just a lack of faith on their part. But regardless, guys, here's what I'll say. I don't know about you, but I am really encouraged by Matthew's truthfulness. Because he didn't have to record that, that some doubted. He didn't have to write that. He could have just said Jesus showed up and they threw a party and everybody worshiped him. But he was real and he was honest. And guys, this is the Bible. The Bible is the most honest book in the history of the world. And it shows us how people actually are. And for me, my faith is ironically strengthened by these disciples' shortcomings. That it goes back to the theme of the 11, which is this, is that God loves imperfect people. He loves to redeem imperfect people. He loves to bring imperfect people into his family, and he loves to use imperfect people for his perfect plan and mission. I mean, isn't this great? I know that some of you think that you're perfect. You're not, okay? Well, we'll keep beating that into you if you keep coming back. But guys, this is good news for every single one of us, that we're all broken, but God uses these broken people for a great plan. And this is true of the Great Commission in your life, that Jesus uses kind of like bipolar disciples who go back and forth 
from worship to doubt. Some of you, you're hearing that. You're, you're worshiping, you're doubting, you're going back and forth. And guys, I want you to see this. There's a loving comfort in this. That they're numbered among the 11. And so maybe you can relate to the doubt that we see here. You have moments where you kind of just experience the presence of God, but then you, you doubt and hesitation creeps in. But I want you to know, even in that moment, God loves you, Jesus died for you. And my encouragement for you is to do what I do all the time. Pray the prayer of the man in Mark chapter nine. Do you remember this guy? This man brings his son to Jesus to be healed and he says, hey Jesus, if you can, will you heal him? And Jesus says like, if I can? Like all things are possible if you have faith. And the man says, well hey, I do believe but I need you to help me with my unbelief. And in essence what this guy is saying is that my faith is far from perfect, I may not have enough faith, and my faith is, my, is not enough, and I know that, but please help me to have enough faith. The CEV puts it like this. He says, I, I do have faith. Please help me to have even more faith. And Jesus is pleased with this response, and he heals this boy. But here's what I'll tell you. I think most Christians can identify with this man from time to time. That if we're honest, there's times where we're faced with something, and it just seems to like overpower our faith. And we don't seem to have enough faith to follow Jesus in that moment. And so what we do is that we ask for more faith. We acknowledge that everything comes from God. Even our faith comes from God. And it's his work in our lives that enables us to believe and obey. And so I want to remind you, as we've been talking about prayer independence a lot this year, that we can go to God, that he's a father. We can go to him and we can talk to him. This is prayer. And we can ask him for more faith. That when we're wavering in our resolve to follow Jesus, we can ask for more resolve. That when we're unwilling to obey, we can ask to be made willing. See, the Christian knows that their faith and that their obedience is always deficient. And so we are constantly going to the Father and we're constantly just asking him to help enable us and empower us to be faithful to Jesus and to walk like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And I do this all the time. I don't know if I should say that as a pastor that I'm like, I'm always worshiping, right? But I'm, I'm like this bipolar disciple, right? It's like sometimes I'm, I'm worshiping, sometimes there's hesitation, and I'm not obedient all the time. And so my constant prayer is, Father, just help me with my unbelief. Help me. Give me faith. Give me resolve to follow you. And I would encourage you all to do the same. But as we consider this great commission of Jesus, I want you to see this is the group that Jesus is sending out with a mission. Okay? These bipolar disciples, these doubting disciples, these broken, sinful, jacked up guys, they're struggling people, they're doubting people, but because of Jesus, they're still broken, sinful, doubting, and struggling, but they're also redeemed, new, and empowered. Doxa, let this comfort you that maybe you were here last week or the week that we sent out the Japan team and you watched all the people stand up here on the stage or in front of the stage that they're quitting their jobs, they're selling their houses, they're packing up their houses, they're packing up their kids, they're moving to a different place to start a new church, and maybe you thought, man, these people are just incredible. Like, I could never do something like that. I'm too broken, I'm not knowledgeable enough, I'm, I have too much like, unbelief. If you ever feel that, I want you to look back to the eleven. See the 11, see Peter. And as you consider these people, 
experiencing, experience the loving comfort of God. Hear him say, I love you, I'm with you, and I'm for you. And just like these 11, trust God to send you. Because we're all being sent. Some of us are being sent across the sea, across state lines. It might even just be across the street. But we are all being sent. He's sending every one of us somewhere for his glory and others' good. Now look at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority, I want you to circle, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now this is just a crazy lofty claim that we just saw the loving comfort that Jesus is with us, he's for us, he's never gonna forsake us, but it's rooted in this lofty claim that Jesus says all authority. Now let me explain this to you, okay? Jesus is about to command the 11 in verse 19, to go to all the nations of the world and to turn them into disciples. He's gonna send them out and say, hey, make followers of me, make people who love me, make disciples, make obeyers of my word, like go and do that. And this is just crazy, right? I mean, if you really think about this, I mean, Jesus is saying, go to all the nations, go to every religion of the world and tell them that I am the only true God. He's saying, go to every single person in this world and tell them that Jesus is the only way to eternal life with God. And tell them that it's not spirituality, it's not morality, it's not religion that will save him, but it's only Jesus. And he says, go to every single person in this world and tell them that they have sin in their lives, that sin will cause separation, will lead them to hell, but also tell them that God loves them and that he made a way and Jesus is that way. The only way. Jesus says, just go and tell everybody that. Now let me just pause. Is that easy for you? I mean, do you just readily just kind of like go to the people you meet, your neighbor, the people at the store, and just tell them what we just said? Because the truth is, saying things like that in our world today in some places will get you killed. And that's not likely gonna happen here in our country but it can cause you to be ridiculed and be labeled as arrogant, intolerant, and just a bigot. But here's what we need to be reminded of. All right, listen to this. Before Jesus tells them to go and do this radical, crazy thing, which is actually love, before he tells them to go do this, he tells them in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so what Jesus is saying is like, I was killed, but I came back to life. I was resurrected. And as I did this, all my claims about being God, all my claims about you being sinful, all my claims about heaven and hell and the Father and the only way, all of that stuff, all my promises, everything is true. I validated it all by raising from the dead. And because this is true, I am who I say I am, which means what is true in Philippians chapter two, right? Yeah, where Paul says, Jesus is lifted above everything. He is the name above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is just another way of saying all authority has been given to him. He is the king of kings. And so Jesus is saying, I would not send you out with this mission to all nations if I didn't have all authority and all power and all rights over every nation and every person. And here's what this means, Doxa. Very practically, you are not an idiot when you listen to Jesus and go for Jesus. 
You are not intolerant when you go and you tell people in every people group, in every nation, to repent and believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life. You're not an idiot and you're not intolerant. But here's what you are. You are an ambassador of the king of the nations. You are a representative and a spokesperson for the king of kings. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And again, this is why the resurrection that we celebrated a few weeks ago on Easter is so incredibly important. Because the truth is, is without this declaration of Jesus' authority, we could never kind of just go out confidently to make disciples and to share the gospel. Because if Jesus is dead, I mean, what basis do we have any right to tell anybody that they should change their way of thinking, they should change their way of living and become a disciple of Jesus? What authority would we have? Absolutely none. And it's only one thing that could justify just such an outlandish mission that could justify just evangelism in general all over the world. It's that Jesus Christ has risen from dead and has been given absolute, all, complete authority over everything and everyone. And so if Jesus has that kind of authority, then we Christians not only have the right but are bound to go and tell the world of this gospel. And so he says, there's no limit to my authority. And in turn, what he says to the disciples in John chapter 20, he says, the Father has sent me, and just as the Father has sent me, I'm also sending you. And so Christian, just hear me on this. We go under the authority of Jesus. We speak under the authority of Jesus. We teach the Bible. We share the gospel. We make disciples under the authority of Jesus Christ. And this is absolutely huge. And so I'll tell you, Doxa, you don't need to be sheepish about your faith in the truths of God. There's no need to be timid about sharing the gospel because it's not your truth. It's not like you came up with something and you're trying to get people to believe it and follow it. Like, it's not yours. Your faith, the gospel, our Jesus have authority. And it's in this authority that led the Apostle Paul to say in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is a power of God to save all who believe. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's Jesus over everything. Everything is under the reign and the control and the authority of Jesus. And this is what leads Jesus to say what he does in verse 19. Look, in light of that, Go. In light of my authority, look, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so we've seen a loving comfort, a lofty claim, and here is a last command from Jesus. Go and make disciples. And if you look at this, there's four directives here. Jesus says, go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And we're, we're going to look at all of these throughout the next couple weeks, but we're going to focus on one, one word today, and that is go. His last command is to go. Jesus says, go to the people of the world. Tell them of their sin. Tell them of my love. Give them the hope of the gospel. And guys, this is Jesus' mission. This is our mission as people who follow Jesus to go and give away the gospel. Now, I'll, I'll pause with this because, hear me on this. How do we do this? Like, how do we go to people and share this truth? 
Because this is really big. I'll tell you, we go in complete humility and love. We don't go as superior people thinking that we have it all together. We don't go as quote-unquote Bible thumpers and throwing people out of situations and throwing Bibles at people and just declaring this. But we go with love and humility. We go as kind of like a dying beggar on the street who has found food to live and then they just go and they go back to their beggar friends and saying, I found food, come with me. This is our posture as we share the gospel. There is nothing superior about any of us. There is one superior one, his name is Jesus. The rest of us, all we have is thanksgiving and joy because of what Jesus has done. And some of you here, you need to hear this. Because some of you here, you you see the sins of people around you and you get so disgusted. And and your approach to them is not the same as Jesus' approach to you. And so I, I honestly just feel led to remind you of your sin today. You are sinful. You might be saved, but you're absolutely sinful. And it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would just help us Help us all to see our sin, because when this happens, humility happens. We realize that there is nothing significant about me. There's nothing superior about me. I am broken, and I'm the biggest sinner I know, because I know my thoughts. But God, but God gave Jesus, and in Jesus I have new life, I have forgiveness, but there is no superiority. And it causes me to be humble, but it also causes me to worship, and it causes me to see people differently. As a pastor, guys, I'll tell you, I am not surprised by anything that I hear. Like when, when guys in my connection group or people that I hang out with are confessing sin, I'm like, okay, that sounds about right. I did this in some similar stuff a while ago. But it's not like we have it all together. We need to be humble and gentle and lowly and loving as we go and give the gospel to people. And so we go, but we go with a limp. And we go with humility and love. And to go is actually to be a Christian. And so I'll tell you this, as we talk about this idea of going, Jesus sending us out, if you are not going to them, you're not truly following him. To go is to be a Christian. And this is a truth that we're gonna keep hammering here at Doxa, that the gospel came to you on its way to someone else. And this is really the heart of Jesus' great commission and what we're all about here at Doxa, and I need you to understand what this go means, okay? Because you can hear go, and chances are there's a lot of you that immediately think about like overseas missionaries. And you think about the Doxa people who went to Japan, you think about all the Doxa people that are going to Ann Arbor, but I need you to understand that is in fact a type of going, but this is not how going is limited to. All right, see when Jesus says go and make disciples, the idea is this, it's as you go. As you go, make disciples. That we're all going so many places throughout our lives. Unless you're locking yourself in your room and you're staying there, we're going places. And so Jesus says, like, as you're going to the store, as you're going to the gym, as you're going to class, as you're going to your kid's soccer practice, as you're going fill in the blank, as you're going and as you're doing this everyday stuff of life, go with gospel intentionality. Go with the words of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, the eyes of Jesus, observing who it is that intersects our lives, 
so that we can love them like Jesus and live towards them like Jesus and befriend them like Jesus and serve them like Jesus and help them like Jesus in the hope that we would be able to give them the good news of the gospel and that they would become disciples of Jesus. This is the Great Commission. We are all going. Are we going intentionally with the gospel? This is one of our rhythms that we try and reinforce here at Doxa is that we go with the gospel into the everyday stuff of life because the Great Commission is not for just missionaries going overseas, but every Christian is in fact a missionary or an imposter. And I talked to some people at Intro to Doxa last week and, and I, they were, the first time that they were here, right? And they're like, okay, so you just told everyone, do we have to go somewhere to be a member of this church? And I kind of laughed and I was like, <laughs> kinda. You know, like, it might not be overseas, but you should definitely go across the street you should go across the hall. We're all going. And as we go, this is how we fulfill the great commission of Jesus. And it's all fueled by love. And this is paramount. So let me ask you this question. Like, as we think about going, how do you see people? This is a big question. As you go through life, how is it that you see people? Because depending on how you see people, this will influence your going. And we've talked about this at Doxa, but I'd submit to you that there are three ways that we can all view people, and we all view people in one of these three ways. It's either scenery, machinery, or ministry. Some of you, you walk through life, and people are kind of like scenery. They're like the park bench that you pass, the fire hydrant, the tree. And you might look at them, and you're kind of like, okay, that's great, hopefully you don't get in my way. You don't acknowledge them. It's like passing a tree on your walk. You see people as scenery. Others of you, you see people as machinery. That sure, you'll, you'll engage with them and you'll befriend them and you'll love them if they can produce something for you. If they will add to your life, oh, I'm all in for being with that person. But at the minute they stop producing, you don't. That's a, uh, a machinery view of people. But what we see of Jesus, what we see of the Apostle Paul, they didn't view people as scenery or machinery, but they viewed them as ministry. They viewed them as loved by God, image bearers of God, and they loved people really, really well. And if we have the mind of Christ and the love of Jesus, we see people as God sees people. And we love people as God loves people. We serve people as God serves people. We live towards people like Jesus lived towards us. And it will be love that drives us. Do you see like how the Great Commission is, is not just for missionaries, but it's for all of us. It's for the Christians. Because Jesus just assumes that we will go. And he says, go intentionally with love. And so as you go, make disciples. And we're gonna talk about how it is that we make disciples next week, but today I want you to understand that your life is about going with the gospel. Because your life as a Christian is based on the life of Jesus, and this is how Jesus lived towards us. That Jesus came for us, and so we go to them, all for the sake of people meeting Jesus. So I'm out of time, but here's how I'll end. All right, you've, you've heard the word of God from the mouth of Jesus. And you've seen this, you've seen his loving comfort. You've heard this lofty claim. You've heard this last command to go and make disciples, and what's clear in these intentional last words of Jesus is that he's trying to move us to act. 
But he ends his earthly life with these words because he wanted us to respond. He was motivating us to like move and to act and to respond to him. Doxa, Jesus' mission is for you to experience his love and forgiveness and then to give it away to the next person you meet. And I want you to know that this mission doesn't actually begin with this command to go, but it actually begins with Jesus' willingness to come. That Jesus came to us and he lived for us, he died for us, he rose for us so we could escape the consequences of sin in our life. This is the gospel. It starts with God's love. It's all about Jesus. Him coming to us in this love then compels us. This is what the Apostle Paul says, the love of Christ compels me to do everything. This gospel is the thing that we never move past because this gospel is everything and it fuels our obedience and it fuels our, our going to make disciples this great commission. And so what we're gonna do today is we, we get to be reminded of the goodness and the grace of Jesus and his gospel by witnessing a few baptisms. All right, and so what we're gonna do is as you hear these stories and you watch these baptisms, here's my encouragement for you. I want you to listen to their stories. And I want you to hear and see how God has worked and moved and saved. But I don't want you just to stop there. I then want you just to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of how that happened in your life. And as you remember this gospel and how Jesus came in and made you new, how he sent somebody into your life to share the good news of the grace and the love of God, allow that to well up some like worship, wonder, awe, and praise as you just remember how God has saved you. Because it's that love that will compel you to go and make disciples. Because you will want everyone. I mean, I've heard people say this, like how much do you have to hate someone to not give them the gospel? Like how much do you just have to like hate somebody to not let them know of the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the redemption of God? It's the pinnacle of hatred to not give away the gospel. And we don't realize that unless we start to think about how God has intervened in our life and how Jesus has saved us and loved us. And so if you're unfamiliar with baptisms, all right, these people that are gonna get baptized today, they're not being saved of their sins today. Jesus already did that through faith. But what they're doing is they're demonstrating and they're showing and they're obeying and saying, I'm following Jesus. He has raised me from death to life. And we celebrate. And as they come up out of the water, we praise God, we clap, we yell, because this is what it's all about. Changed lives. And this is why we go. And this is why we send. And if you're here and like you're newer to the church, you're, you're not a Christian yet, I want you to know that as you listen to these stories and you watch these people get baptized, you're seeing what the gospel does. It makes people new. As they go under the water, it's a picture of being buried with Christ, dying with Christ. And as they come up, they're raising to newness of life where they're a child of God and this could be for you if you just come to Jesus and give him your sin and he will give you everything. All right, so I'm gonna have Molly come up here and share a little bit of her story. So give it up for Molly. Molly.